admired, influential, leader, and client-centric. These are just a few of the words that I took away from my conversation with Trevor Wild. Trevor is the managing director and an investment advisor representative for his firm, Wild Wealth Management Group. The focus they have in their firm is simple. They are there for you and your family today, tomorrow, and the next generations. And Trevor has built the firm from the ground up. With 20 years of experience, Trevor has seen the changes that have occurred in our industry, adapted to them, and continued to thrive in building a successful and impactful firm. And today, we get to hear his vision to the future and what helped get his firm to the point it is at today. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Trevor, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us. How's everything going today for you? Great. Thank you very much. I'm excited to, to be here with you today. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, my pleasure. And, um, you know, when some of the things that we talked about before and that you sent over, you know, I can relate. So you were in a family business uh, that has recently changed hands a couple years ago, but uh, we are also in a family business here. So uh, all of our businesses, my brother's involved, my dad started the firm. And uh, so I can relate. Talk to me a little bit about your experiences in, uh, in the family, family business. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's been a, a great opportunity for myself and my family to work together and play together and kind of do it all. Not without challenges, though, as you know, firsthand, you know, my dad uh, started in our industry in the early 90s, primarily in the insurance industry, and then kind of morphed into full service financial planning. You know, I came out of school and the last thing I wanted to do was go to work for my dad. Uh, but after a couple of years with a, a regional wirehouse, uh, ultimately, the two of us decided it was it was a, a fate to kind of come together and work together from that point. And um, we had a great partnership that lasted uh, nearly 15 years. He's still a, an advisor of the firm. Um, and my siblings have all worked for the firm either currently or, or at one time or another. I've got one sister who is taking some time off to raise her young family. Um, but it's, it's just been uh, it's an amazing opportunity not only to serve the people, our clients, the people that we care about, but also to work together as a family and build something uh, that we think is is pretty unique and we're very proud of. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, once you get over that hump of understanding that family and business, right, that there's sometimes yeah. it's not, a business decision is not meant to impact how the family feels about you. Yeah. It's, uh, once you get over that hurdle, working in a family business can be really rewarding and, uh, yeah. and an amazing experience, I think. Uh, yeah. In your family, to say, I mean, when you sent this over, I didn't know this. So you have four daughters. God bless you, yeah. uh, Thank by you. the way. Yeah. God yeah. bless you. So sick is, was it, uh, what, what were the ages again of your kids? Yeah, so my oldest is going to be 14 this year, uh, 12, 10, and my youngest is six. I mean, how, so uh, the Wild House, is it wild? I mean, it's got to be pretty wild over there, I'm assuming. And how are you doing, by the way? Uh, do you have a male dog or something, a companion yeah, in there? Yeah, you know, recently got a little testosterone in the male dog last year, but it's uh, <laughs> there's no lack of uh, conversation, that's for sure. I mean, sitting down at the dinner table, and you know, all, all I have to do is say, how was your day? And you know, it's the rest is filled, you know, so it's great. I'm blessed. They're amazing girls. My wife somehow keeps us all together. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun house. That's for sure. That's great. That's great. Well, yeah. I, uh, I give you kudos. We just had our first child. It, it, it's a boy. And having four, my one of my business partners has four boys. And so uh, I say to him, God bless him, too. So it's not just because they're girls. It's uh, just four sure. kids in general. Uh, right. Y'all are, are serving a purpose right there for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
congratulations on yours. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, well, good. So uh, we're going to make this, This is even though you went to U of A and I went to Arizona State, we're, this is going to be a really amicable conversation, right? We're, uh, as we talked about, the rivalry is, is hot out there, but it's not as big as some of the southeastern uh, rivalries yeah. here in, the, in, in our parts of the world. But um, I, I think that for us to start, I, I love what y'all have been doing. I researched y'all before, and, I, and that's what led me to, to reaching out. The current state of the industry, right? We have a ton of innovation happening. A lot has changed and evolved even since you started out in the business and when your dad started the business. Uh, but it hasn't really infiltrated all the way through within the advisory firm. So the question is, what do you think about the innovation that's really happening in our space? And and then where does this innovation go? How does it impact the the, the business and the job that we do every day? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's exciting. I think a lot of the technology advancements that we're seeing, you know, the, the ability to integrate um, data, you know, even though we might not hold all those accounts, you know, linking 401ks and credit cards and to be able to provide a client with like a total net worth statement, you know, which is, you know, kind of how we work today is pretty amazing in comparison to how we used to do things even five or 10 years ago. So, you know, I, I think I think the opportunities to 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 embrace this and provide a higher level of, of service to our clients is going to be a big part of it. At the same token, though, you know, the industry loves to make an effort, you know, uh, uh, talk about the technology and how it's going to change what we do for our clients. And I guess that's where I would take a little bit of a sidestep that I, I don't know that I don't think it's going to change what we do. I mean, you know, I, what we do is really personal in nature. You know, the clients that choose to work with us and that we choose to work with, you know, are choosing to develop this relationship, you know, and I really think that the, the advancements that we're seeing, especially in technology, as I said before, are really going to allow us to elevate that, but I don't know that they're going to necessarily change it, you mm-hmm. know, and I think it makes me think a lot of the robo conversations from, you know, that have been happening for the last 15 years and how robo is going to completely change the way that, you know, we work with clients and why would clients choose us if they can just do a, you know, buy a, a, a robo program. Uh, and, and although there might be those clients out there that are suited for that, we find that a lot of those people um, never left this. They wanted the personal relationship. They may want the technology, you know, and I think the vast majority of people, they, they want the integration of both. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's going to completely, I, I see it as an opportunity for our industry, you mm-hmm. know, where I think a lot of people in the industry maybe are frightened by it and, and might, you know, be intimidated by the fact that this is changing and it's going to threaten their way of, of life. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. What I'm seeing is um, we're finding ways to elevate the service level to our clients, make the relationship that we have with our clients even that much stronger, You know, improve the success and the results that we're having of meeting their goals, but it still comes back to the relationship. You know, and um, so those are some of my general thoughts. But but overall, I'm excited about it. Yeah, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that the whole robo conversation, right? It got blown out of proportion early on, right? Where everybody was frightful, and now we're just seeing that the human relationship's not going away in this service type right. business. And um, and, and I think that peop- more and more advisors are starting to implement technology. But you converse and socialize with a lot of other advisory firms, I'm sure, out in, in your area yeah. of the country. Do you think that advisors as a whole are accepting these innovations now? Um, and and if so, how do you see it? And if not, why do you think it's taken so long or it's so hard for advisors to accept new innovations on the technology front that are happening in our industry? Yeah. So I think about it in two different segments. You know, I think a lot of larger advisory practices, whether it's RAs or hybrids, 
or or even firms like mine where we, we go through a corporate IRA with an independent broker dealer, I think the larger firms, what I see is a much higher adoption level of technology and, 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 a, and a higher willingness to uh, evolve. But I also think our industry has a lot of great advisors that are, you know, two or three man uh, practices, if you will, maybe not firms, but more practices that find it a lot more challenging to adopt technologies. And some of that might be due to capacity. You know, I mean, when you're, and we were there, you know, 15 years ago when it was my dad and I and a couple of assistants, maybe two assistants, you know, making a change or adding a technology was a lot more difficult and challenging than it is today, even impossible Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, because we just didn't have the ability to. And I also think, so I think that coupled with a lot of these um, smaller, and I don't mean smaller, but practices that are, they're not at a firm level, but they're really working as practices. You know, we, we've got an aging demographic in our industry, you know, and I think there's a lot of practitioners in these practices that are doing that, that, that do great for their clients and love their clients, but they have capacity issues that make it very difficult to adopt technology. But I think it's also very easy for us, all, all of us, to get kind of set in our ways, you know, mm-hmm. and I do see generationally. Um, the older generation in our industry that's kind of saying, you know, look, this I've done it the way I've been doing it for 35 years. My clients appreciate it. I don't need this new technology uh, that that are kind of taking that approach, you know, yeah. and they might be taking it from a standpoint of just uh, I don't want to have to learn a new trick or, uh, you know, we don't have the capacity and the investment to really do this. And maybe it's just manpower and the human capital to really make this a useful tool or some mix of in between. Mm -hmm. But that's what I see. I think the bigger firms, I think firms like ours that have gone from a practice level to more of a firm level, I I think what I see is a pretty high level of adoption. But I think when you get into the vast majority of practices, which probably, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's probably better than 60, 70% of the advisors are really practitioners. I, I, I see a very different uh momentum in adopting the technology uh, yeah. for the reason we just mentioned i think that's really interesting I, I think that your point about practice versus firm is really good and i'd love for you to i mean in terms of practice versus firm right when you say mm-hmm. for because I, th- I think and the reason where i'm going with this is that the concept of business sizing your kind of pra- your firm is a big yeah. topic that that we discuss with a lot of ras especially on this podcast and just in other conversations and business mm-hmm. sizing meaning that you're getting leadership roles and your leadership right. may not be managing monies, et cetera. How do you define practice versus firm when you kind of think it through it that way? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I mean, our, we've evolved kind of through all of those phases of, you know, from a, you know, two advisors that just were partnered, my dad and I with one assistant to making the decision to hire a second assistant and um, and hiring staff, hiring junior or associate wealth advisors, hire, hiring a CIO, hiring an operations manager, all these things that you kind of go through as the firm grows. I don't, I don't know that I have a great definition for where that line between practice and firm happened. Um, but I, I think to your point, it really is probably when a practice is to the size where they're saying we're going to hire someone to oversee the operations, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily just administrative stuff, because a lot of us have those functionality in, in some of our staff, but but we're going to make a hire in the form of a COO who's going to oversee our administrative team, oversee our marketing team, um, which might just be one or two people in those teams you know, early on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's where the shift in the mind frame starts to change, you know? Yeah. And I, I 
there's some serious capacity questions there too. I, I think I think back at the growth of our of our practice and you know and when we kind of felt like we were in a position to do that. And I, again, I I don't know that I have it that well defined, but it was probably north of 150 to 200 million under management uh, before we really had the capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think a, a lot of advir- advisors that that you know, want to be, you know, create that firm level of environment, you know, there's just a challenge because it takes a lot of, uh, you know, you've got to have enough scale and capacity to really do that. Yeah, it's kind of, you make a good point, right? When you hire like the COO. So it's in theory, it could in in essence be when you make that first hire of a leadership or or C-suite person, that is a non-revenue generating C-suite person, right? Right. That, I mean, that's when you're making some big investment uh, right. in your in the way that your company is structured and run I think that, I mean that's a really interesting point of, of yeah. from that side uh, and I think it changes the the thought process of of the owner because you know I think a lot of in a practice that owner wears all those hats you mm-hmm. know, he's the CIO he's the COO in a lot of cases he's the CCO and he's an advisor and we take pride in those things and 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 I think a lot of advisors even the have the best of intentions, find it very difficult to take any one of those hats off and trust somebody else with it, you know, especially mm-hmm. when you're coming out of a, hey, this is something that, you know, I built with my blood, sweat and tears, you know, to do. But I think there's a whole mindset shift that starts to happen when the owner starts to take those hats off and delegate. Um, I think it's a big deal. And it's a change of mentality of the people that are there as well, right? And it takes some yeah. time from the culture standpoint. But I, but that is like the idea. Once you become that point, then you're starting to businessize your business and become a true right. firm that is, you know, able to scale and grow efficiently mm-hmm. and profitably from that standpoint. And, and, you know, at the level that y'all are, I mean, y'all are growing rapidly. You have a, you, you're, mm-hmm. you're impacting many lives, not only by the clients, but also the employees that you, you guys all yeah. have on your firm. How do y'all go about getting new technologies into your firm and getting them adopted, right? And the reason I bring this question up is I think one of the biggest things for advisors is that they have trouble getting adoption, full adoption of all their technologies that they use. So they get frustrated spending money on technologies because they don't feel they're getting the most out of it. How do y'all approach this idea of adopting new technologies or even a new process? Just take it a new process that you may be implementing. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think it's a fair frustration. I think we all share it. I mean, there's certainly, I can think of, you know, over the last couple of years, probably a number of processes or technologies that that as a, as a leadership team, we thought made sense and we even invested in, but but um, felt those same frustrations. And some of them we just backed out of because they weren't a good fit. You know, a lot of these, whether it's a process or a technology, there's a lot of sizzle to it. But I think as much as we're all doing the same thing for our clients, you know, every practice is different. Every firm is different, you know, and I think what we really try to do is number one, get buy-in from, from our staff, right. And our team members, I think it really starts there. When I think of processes or technologies or procedures that we've tried to roll out that we really didn't really put enough time and energy into educating our team as to why it's going to happen. Most of those didn't, most of them fail, mm-hmm. you know, and if they didn't fail, they, they didn't have the success maybe that they should have, uh, or, or as quickly as they should have, because we didn't, get buy-in from our, our team members, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I think about the technologies or process or procedures that we've instituted that have been very successful, we did have full buy-in from the team. We, we, we took extra time, energy, effort, even money and investment to spend time with our team to talk about why it's important 
and what the true benefit and 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 ask you know our team tell us what you think of this how can we tweak this do you think this is even worth it mm-hmm. and i and again i think it even comes kind of back to the previous conversation about you know scaling into a firm once we got to that point where where we could do that we've certainly seen adoption rates become higher and more successful but mm-hmm. i think that's the key that i've seen in the successes that we've had the better buy-in we have from staff and even you know and advisors are you know, we like to think of things and implement them and, and just kind of run with them and forcing myself to kind of take a step back and really vet it out with the team and let them get their feet into it and ask questions. It seems to be more successful about 90% of the time by doing it that way. Yeah. You know, it, it's uh, just like you're saying, taking off one of those hats and giving it away. It's hard for any founder or leader to give up control. Uh, but the, the, and, the the job and responsibility of us now is to provide the vision and say go and figure it out this is where we want you to go and go and figure out the steps that get us there and and having that comfort of saying hey this culture of change and this culture of uh accepting change where if it doesn't work figure it out iterate it and continue moving forward we're okay with this culture of learning uh all the time so i think that that's a really interesting uh an approach that 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 sees success and you know with um with technologies, and we talked about this a little bit before, you're talking about how technology can help to make the relationship more valuable, right? How they make a better client experience. Talk to talk to me about some of the ways that that y'all are currently using technology or even processes that you feel are delivering on that, right? How can technology be used to truly deliver greater value to clients today from that standpoint? Yeah. So the, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about this is is the data aggregation. Mm-hmm. You know, where I think about, you know, again, not too long ago, five, ten years ago, certainly the, the first half of my career when when we wanted to get with a client and run a financial plan and not just running the plan, but you know, and having a review and being able to report kind of an you know, a full uh, here's your entire net worth picture was a manual process. You know, we had to get statements of their 401ks from the clients, try to pull in you know, bank account values manually, they would deliver it to us and we'd put that all into our, our our software program and we'd be able to show that net worth statement. And the best example is just that, you know, the data aggregation tools that we have right now where a client can, you know, automatically link their 401k, their held away accounts, whether it's in a 401k or a trading account at TD Ameritrade, all the accounts with us and have that aggregation updated on a daily basis uh, is probably the most profound example I can give of uh, directly impacting our client's ability to to navigate and identify where they're at at any given time. It also presents challenges, you know, with a market that acts like it does going up and down on, on a tweet. Um, there's a different, <laughs> you know, there's a far different uh, emotion that we're having to control, I would say, especially in the last year and a half that we didn't see for a while, right, right. where markets were consistent and we didn't have to deal with you know, tough conversations, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I, and even, you know, you think about how long it's been since the last major recession, 2008, and 2009, there's a lot of advisors that have never gone through that. And you get a little taste of it in the fall of 2018. And we'll see it from here to there. But, you know, again, this, that aggregation tool has been very powerful for us and being able to help our, help guide our clients on a holistic, not only where you sit, but helping them guide their investment allocation, you know, where manually, you know, what we used to do is we'd manage a portion of the account, they would have a 401k somewhere else. And we would look at that once or twice a year and kind of, you know, adjust it to make sure it's, you know, it's all kind of talking together. 
Well, today the aggregation that we have now, we don't, we're not waiting once a year, you mm-hmm. know, where we can rebalance concurrently amongst our 401ks and the investments that we hold. But again, there's this other challenge, which is because that information is right there and in front of them, uh, there's this emotional piece that, that I think we're going to see um, become more of a challenge in the future versus the last nine, 10 years right? yeah. since we've been. It's that challenge of how do we control the conversation, right? How do we control the 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 what they're um, what they're seeing and what they're thinking and getting ahead of that, right? Because they have so much access to information. How do we help to control that to some right. extent? Because it's not to control it to lead them blindly. It's actually to control it to lead right. them in the right direction to not make that mistake, right? Right. Exactly. Um, when I think about the technology landscape in our space, I always just think to uh, like. Um, I know. I think you you work with Satera, but I think to like a Schwab Impact or one of those big expos, and you go to the expo, the annual conference, and you go to the floor, and you have just five hundred booths of technology companies all around, right. um, and it's overwhelming. It's really yeah. overwhelming. I, I'd be interested to know from your perspective as a leader of a advisory firm, what needs to change within the technology space? Do you think in order to get even greater adoption? of technologies by financial advisors to make that influx of technology into financial advisory firms even greater from that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, you know, especially on the independent channel, um, RA or independent, there's so much, there's so much choice that it's almost overwhelming. In fact, we have uh, a couple of really great advisors that just joined us from a, a big bank. Uh, and, you know, early on, that was one of their comments was, that, you know, there's so many options, like it's overwhelming, you know, mm-hmm. and um, where where the simplicity for a lot of advisors is kind of nice. You know, if you're working with a captive organization or firm where they have one tool and that's what you use, it does simplify life. It makes it a little bit easier. Um, I don't I don't know that at least in my eye, in my mind that I think technology advancements we're seeing technology are all good things. I don't know that I think it's more around the education that the advisors have to put in, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of advisors are used to if they're coming out of a, a you know a captive agency, the firm just saying here's what you have to use, and they use it. You know, and we're seeing a massive migration of advisors away from firms like that and into RIAs or independent practices or or hybrids and all sorts of different options today. And and I think the challenge is going to be more in um, really the advisor field. And maybe even the firms that they're partnering with, helping give more guidance and, and and dedicating more energy to researching the technologies, and then trying to decide which ones are going to fit their practice for the people that they work with. I think that's a, a good point too, because like Soteras of the world, which are great, right? That's a great organization, and and you know LPLs, and and then the Schwabs and the TDs, they are inve- they are investing in technology consulting teams, yeah. and they're investing in getting up to speed on what the technologies are and coming in and helping firms understand. And I think it's now up to the advisors to take advantage of those resources of our partners, yeah. right? Of whoever we're utilizing, especially in the independent space to allow us to continue to stay ahead and 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 be even more unique than the bigger firms. We have the ability right. of moving agile. So I think that those types of solutions are, are spot on of, of education yeah. from that standpoint. Um, yeah. I, I I don't want to I don't want to stir the pot here any, but I, I or, or bring up anything you know bad. But what are two of the things that keep you up at night when it comes to running the business, right? What are those two yeah. challenges that uh, you know are kind of the the nightmares that you wake up to sometimes that that you worry about every day? Yeah, yeah. 
it's a good question, right? And I mean, regardless of the business, whether it's an investment advisory firm like mine or a business like yours, there's always, you know, challenges that the business has. I, I don't, you know, in all honesty, I don't know that I would classify them as nightmares. Um, I, you know, I think, again, as, as we, as, as my firm has moved out of being a practice uh, into being more, more of a firm, a lot of those fears have gone away, you know, where, you know, that hat of being the COO, being the trader, doing all these things used to be on my head was a lot more, there was a lot <laughs> more nightmares back then than there are today mm-hmm. because there's a team and there's a structure to handle things. If I get sick tomorrow and can't come in, there's a plan in place and things can run without me being there. Um, and so I don't know that I would classify them as nightmares, but um, but I do think, and, and again, I think one of the challenges that we will have, our firm and others alike, um, will continue to be, I guess, two fronts. The, you know, one of them is staying ahead of um, the regulation. And maybe not ahead of, but you know, in step with the regulation, right? Mm-hmm. The last three or four years, I guess, five years with the DOL coming on, going off, the new SEC rules that are getting proposed, um, you know, it's very hard for any firm to to keep up with it, if you will. And I do think where, you know, even going into the DOL era, I think a lot of advisors advisors were just, well, hey, this is just going to, this is going to blow over eventually and we'll get back to doing things the way we always have. I think it's clear that that's not going to be the case. And I think, I think for good, I think, I think in the long haul, it puts our, our industry in more of a level playing field that, that needs to be there. Um, but that that's something that is not just going to come in. That's going to have to continue to be something that firms like ours, and whether you're a firm or an independent practice, are going to have to continue to spend time and energy and effort on. Is you know what are those changes? How do we stay in compliant with them? What adjustments do we need to make to our you know to our firm and our practice to make sure that we're we're serving our clients in the best capacity that we can serve them? Right. Uh, so that's a big one. And then and then I think on the other end of it. It goes along with these advancements in technologies. There's a lot of great technologies, but because of how uh, quick our clients have access to information, I think the emotional side of it will be different. You know, and again, you know, I started in 2000. I've been through two major recessions. We haven't seen anything that severe since 2008, and a lot of advisors have never seen it. A lot of clients have never seen it with real wealth. You know, where they have real dollars invested, um, and I, I do think that that. For advisors being prepared to help clients deal with the emotional part of disruptive markets, um, I think it'll be a bigger focus the next five years than it has the last five years because mm-hmm. we just haven't really had to deal with that that much. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that's going to be a unique challenge, right? Because 10 years ago, there weren't as many retirees as there are now. And when you have a correction when they're retired and they can't go and earn a paycheck, it's a different conversation uh, than when they're earning a paycheck uh, from that standpoint. Two more questions, and then we'll get into uh, my favorite segment, buy or sell. But uh, if you were to group financial advisory firms and and you're forced to determine the good ones and the great ones, what do you think separates a great firm uh, from a good firm in the financial advisory space? Yeah, I, in my, I think the biggest difference between a, a good and a great is is the commitment to define procedures and processes. Uh, at least in my experience, uh, is a big difference maker. Not only to the 
what our what we're here for, which is the end client result, helping our client be more successful, helping them feel more confident about the plan and the investment approach that we're taking. But I, I think it's that, you know, I think, you know, again, as practices and, and advisors elevate through that process, it's difficult. It's difficult to define processes and procedures. It's difficult to implement them. And then when you do, when you do get into a position where you're, you're willing to start to take that hat off and entrust it, have buy-in from the team so that those policies and procedures not only maintain themselves, but hopefully get improved. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, certainly we have a lot that we are constantly working on to improve and we all, you know, we we have a lot of those things. I think firms that, that I look at, that I aspire to be like, the biggest commonality is, is it's, they've got a, a, they've got a process and procedure from everything from how they handle a client review to follow up. Uh, from a prospective client, uh, every bit of it is 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 a process and a procedure, um, and and I think that's really what makes uh, a good firm become great uh, is is really defining that and continuing to work on building those processes and procedures and making them as tight as you can. And it's such a defined it's such a defined task or an ask of someone yeah. just just start defining your processes and that right. it's not something that is expensive or needs new hires it's just start defining your processes to make that leap from good to great which is um amazing um all right this is the this is the question i tell everybody i'm going to replay this in 10 years see if you're right or wrong whether you're right or wrong we're going to replay it in 10 years okay. over the next 10 years uh how do you see our business evolving and changing relative to the business we see as we see it today uh yeah, far more regulation. Yeah. Uh, I, I I see. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, we're seeing it now. But I think, and again, I think it can be in, in, for a good thing. I, I think that uh, financial advisors in ten years will will all be held to the same standard. Um, kind of just talking on that regulation side, which right now we're not. You know, there's you can be a financial advisor and have a Series Six or just an insurance license, and you know, all those are held to different standards. So what I'm hoping for and what I think we'll see is a more uniform standard of, of who and what a financial advisor is and 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 the, the care that they're um, required to show their client uh, from compensation to review process, even to succession plan, which is important for small businesses like, like ours, mm-hmm. right? And that impacts our clients. I think that landscape continues to move towards you know, something that looks more uniform. Um, I'll probably have a lot more gray hair and maybe a, a few less on top, but you know, that's driving the biggest thing. Here's, here's one thing I will say that you still will be doing is you still will be working with four girls. You will still be working because you got some weddings to pay for down the road. Yeah, yeah I'll still be working. <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, I, 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 I can appreciate that conversation. We could probably keep going for another hour easily. Um, but I know that you've got stuff to do and I, I want to make sure you're able to get back there. But I want to move into the buy-sell. So buy-sell is just a fun little quirky game, merging investment management with technology conversations. I'm going to give you four statements. You say buy if you agree, sell if you disagree, and give us just a, one or two sentences of why you're going one way or the other. And we'll determine whether you're a bull or a bear. And I'm not trying to persuade you going which one way or the other, but I do like bulls a little bit more. So I'm just trying to throw that out as you do, I'm sure. Um, All right. Buy or sell, greater than 50% of an advisor or an advisor team's day-to-day is around items or tasks that aren't strengthening the client relationship. Sell. Okay. Uh, and I, I think 
from my perspective, again, as we've been talking about through this podcast, like at the end of the day, this really comes back to the relationship with the client. And I think a practice that's not making that a high priority or a firm for that matter, that's not continuing to focus on strengthening that relationship and improving the quality of the relationship um, is, is going to be a firm that's going to lose, you know, competition wise moving forward. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Even though it's a sell, I agree. Buy yeah, or sell. So. <laughs> Buy or sell. Financial advisors should budget for 10% of their overall firm budget going towards technology and innovation development. Uh, I, would, I would buy. Uh, and, and again, we've, we've, we've been talking about this on this podcast. I mean, the advancements in, in technology that are happening. And even to the point, you you know, the question you'd ask about what does the industry need to do to get higher adoption levels? I think advisors, practices and firms have to make a higher commitment uh, uh, to to investing in that area. And I think uh, a firm that's willing to do that is going to have a different trajectory than a firm that is not. Agreed on that side. Yeah, you're bull. You're you're now you're you're now just on the hold market because you got to sell on a buy. Right. And and I I was reading over some of these, too, and I, I. I'm not going to push you one way or the other, but I may be pushing you towards being a bear. So I'm apologizing in advance for that. <laughs> um, so I apologize. Uh, buy or sell the average client to advisor ratio, uh, which is right now around, I think the average is coming around 150 or so, will increase to 250 clients for every advisor in the next seven years. Okay. And I'm a buyer or sell on this. You're, you're, uh, you're a buy or a sell. Well, so, so no, I'm thinking through that. So I, I think I would say buy, and okay. I think, and I would be a bull on this one, even though maybe it would be easy to go the other direction. But I think I would be a bull on it, with conditions that the firm is willing to invest in technology, because yeah. I do believe, and we've seen it firsthand in our practice that that along with uh, implementation and procedures and policies and implementing technology, efficiencies increase, mm-hmm. and I think that it is possible for a firm that continues to invest in technologies and people and processes and procedures to actually increase uh, you know, the, 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 the client to advisor ratio and continue to exceed client expectations if they're willing to do those things. So I'm a buyer um, with the caveat that we're willing to commit to invest and have procedures and policies in place. It's basically a buy with a limit order right there. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> but and that, I think you're right. And I think that, as you're saying, that, that goes into what's going to separate the good and the great firms, right? The ones that do will be the great ones. And the ones that don't will be, they'll be around, they'll be fine. They'll be great. They'll be good. Uh, but there's a difference. All right, last one. Buy or sell the fastest growing opportunity for financial advisors to grow is in the under $500,000 investable asset families segment of the market. So so I would be a, a strong bull in this area, um, primarily because you know we consider our office to be a family office, but we don't serve the ultra uh, high network. I mean, our, our average client worked for um, an organization or a company for 35 years, you know, maybe mid, mid-level management even below, um, but they paid themselves first, they lived conservatively, and we look at them and say, these are the millionaires next door. Many of those are in that category. They're they're in that three hundred to five hundred thousand dollar range, um, and, and 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 specifically to our firm, we built a firm around resources and, and providing a benefits package that they need. You know, the, the high worth client has 
attorneys, they have CPAs, they have people like that all over them that they have relationships with. The biggest, one of the first questions I like to ask the prospective client when I meet with them is, do you have any legal documents? Do you have a basic will? And 90% of the time, the answer is no. And right behind it, they say, you know, we know this is something we need, we just didn't know where to go. Mm -hmm. Well, what we focus on in our organization is developing a, a practice where we have that. We have attorney on staff to help clients develop those documents. We have CPA practices that are affiliated with us, and we have that all under our roof. And so for me, and this is a very specific answer why I'd be so bullish, is we've designed our practice to really take that client that's in that three to 500,000 range, but it's got upward progression, mm -hmm. you know, because they're probably in their, you know, in their, in their early 50s. Their parents, in many cases, are still alive, at least one of them. And we already know that there's going to be a massive transition of wealth in our country over the next decade. Um, but I can serve that client better than 90% of my peers. I believe better than 90% of my peers can. Mm -hmm. and, and not because I'm any smarter, but we've, we've, we've positioned our practice with resources and other skill sets to serve what they need. And they're not getting it in, in other places. So for those reasons, I would be an aggressive bull on that. I practice. love that. And I think it's, a, yeah, you've done your processes and the way that you structured the business to, to better serve that relative to anybody else. And I think that I agree. And um, I love that that's the approach, right? To, to be the one-stop shop and be the quarterback to help them with all that type of uh, their financial plan. And so you do, you, you, you are a bull. So we'll let you yeah. back on the show in, in the future. <laughs> uh, and uh, you'll come to the bull finale where everybody that's a bull comes. And then the bear finale, the bear down yeah. will be, which would be maybe uh, suitable for yeah. you for bear down for Arizona. But uh, uh, I appreciate you taking, playing the game and being a bull with us. There. Really um, so let's do this. Let's close out. Uh, give you some time for a closing thought and, and really for this closing thought just one or two things that you think from your experiences you could help other financial advisory firms go and implement either today or tomorrow to really just push their nudge their firm a little bit further ahead of the competition i'll do a quick closing thought and then we'll we'll go back to our days awesome um well great i appreciate it it's been a lot of fun so thank you for having me on uh, the podcast today and uh, hopefully this will be valuable for other practitioners out there um, I, I think the the number one thing that I would encourage advisors or practitioners to do is really think about who they're trying to serve, right? And and what are when and when you think about that person or that family or that group of people, you know, what are the things that that other firms are doing really well? What are the what are things that that group of people needs and maybe doesn't have access to or as readily as other groups? And, and, and then internalize that back to your practice to I try to identify, you know, what can we do to serve that client better? And, and again, for us, not to turn it back to our practice, but it's, it's been one of the things I think about the last 10 years or 15 years in our practice. And we did that. And, and we said, well, you know, these are the, the people that we focus on and, and are, are best suited to serve are not the ultra high net worth that have 10 to 15 million plus in investable assets. They have resources and tools at their disposal, it's really, you know, it's really the millionaire next door, you know, mm -hmm. and what we found that those people didn't have, and we identified the, the areas and we changed our practice, we altered the makeup of our practice to elevate the service that we could provide to that client. And, and what I would challenge your listeners to do is to really, you know, is to really start there, really start with the end client in mind. Who do I serve? What, what do I do? What am I great at? What am I not doing? And where do they have gaps in their lives that I think that we could fill and, and, and be willing to take a risk and be willing to alter the makeup of your firm 
to improve the quality and, and improve the service levels that you're providing your clients. Um, that would be my challenge for your listeners today. I think that's a challenge that hopefully everybody goes out and accepts because I, I think that's a great challenge to push uh, each and individual, every firm forward. And I think that, you know, this closing thought that I have today, I think is, is perfect timing given what Trevor has been able to build uh, and the impact that he's made on lives. And most great things come with time and hard work. Very few times has a silver bullet been uh, found or led to the sustained success. But at times, when it comes to technology and ROI, we are expecting the silver bullet. As a financial advisor, our job is to serve our clients and ensure they meet all of their financial goals and objectives. We must protect their information and act in their best interest. We aren't technologists, compliance officers, or necessarily auditors, but all of these are aspects of running a business, which is the foundation for us to deliver on our ultimate job. And so when it comes to technology, we too often feel that the solution should instantly work and fit into the unique way that we do business every day. But that seems silly to assume, as we don't tend to make that assumption in any other aspect of our lives. With the actions that have delivered the best results, we have dedicated time to the solution and been okay iterating on the process. The same should be true as you adopt new technologies in your firm. So the concept of having capacity, not just budgetary capacity, but human capacity, should go into your decision to adopt a new technology or process, as the only way you will see the fullest impact of a technology is if valuable time is dedicated to the solution. But don't think this time has to be yours. Empower your team to do so and provide them a clear vision of your expectations. There are people inside your business that are thirsty and hungry for more ownership and impact on your business. Don't expect a silver bullet, but don't shy away from the time needed to gain the desired impact. Empower others, set a clear vision. That's how I believe advisors can start to see greater ROI from their technology solutions and processes. Trevor Wild, really appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a really, it's been a really fun time. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you. It was a great time. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Yes, sir. And to everybody out there that's listening to this episode of Bridging the Gap, hopefully you took one thing that can help you bridge the gap between your current practice and where the firm and industry is going in the future. And we will be back in your ears next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. They said you wish could get you.